Our Bible reading this morning is taken from James chapter 2. In the run-up to Christmas Day, we'll leave off our readings and our preaching in Colossians. We're turning this morning to James chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 to 13. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. The words will come up on screen for those online. Reading, of course, as we've said often from the authorized version, a most faithful and reliable translation of the Holy Scriptures. One that God has blessed down through the centuries. James chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place. And say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin. And are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that have showed no mercy. And mercy rejoices against judgment. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text today is taken from James chapter 2 and in the verse 1. It reads as follows, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. And my theme this morning I've entitled, Pondering the Greatness of the Lord of Glory. Now, James chapter 2, verse 1 is an amazing and a wonderful text of Holy Scripture. I have to confess it's one that I've never studied or preached on during a Lord's Day service before. 
I believe that James chapter 2 verse 1 is making a very remarkable and outstanding spiritual statement. Certainly a spiritual statement that is unique to him. In the context, James is the inspired writer instructing God's people in Christian living and helping them to be mature in their Christian life. And if we think of the context James chapter 1 verse 27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And then he adds, My brethren. You see, here's the principle or the outworking of that principle of true religion. Now, what is the principle of true religion? Is it not this that it's rooted in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. What he's saying is this, and in light of having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, or holding to the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, do not adhere to or display a spirit of favoritism in regard to one man or woman over another. Remember, there is no impartiality with God. Young people, God has no favorites. Now, we, of course, do have favorites. We put people in boxes because of a person's looks, because of the way they dress, their their educational abilities, the school that they went to, the car that they drive, the house that they live in, the color of their skin, their social status, their outward personalities. And you see, we judge on these bases. We are partial on these bases. We have favorites on these bases. But none of these issues matter to God. They they mean nothing to him. The God of the Bible is a God of infinite greatness, goodness, and grace. And he deals with people on the basis of pure and free grace alone. And, And he deals with sinners on the basis of his holy justice alone. God is not a respecter of persons. And if you want to do a little study, look up. Uh, respecter of persons and Bible gateway and you'll get a number of references that brings that truth home to our heart James knew this about God James knew this about the Lord Jesus Christ the, the second person of the Godhead so, so James announces to the Christians to whom he's writing after talking to them about pure religion before God and undefiled is this Then he adds this, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Now, when I thought of this here through the week, having set aside Colossians chapter 2 until January, I I, I thought, what can I learn from this text, Lord? What is it the Holy Ghost trying to teach me? What's it saying to me? Well, I first of all thought, There's a truth that must be embraced. Look at the words, the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that that can be a reference to the objective body of truth about what a man's to believe concerning the Lord Jesus Christ regarding his person and work. 
Remember the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, the body of truth that's to be believed. The, the faith can refer to that body of truth as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. Truths are to be believed on and about the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's like, and what he's done. We could literally substitute the word faith and translate it this way, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the good news about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And isn't it wonderful you've heard that good news? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, so here's one way to look at the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's that objective body of truth that's to be believed by the Christian church. But there's another way to look at it, and that is to look at it not objectively, but subjectively. Having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because in the construction of the Greek New Testament, this is actually a command here. Is the command of Scripture not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house Remember what the Apostle John says in John chapter 3 and in the uh, verse uh, 36 in relation to Jesus Christ. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Notice the words, he that believeth not. You see, here's... One of the chief sins that men and women and young people can commit. Here's one of the sins that they can be guilty of. God comes to men and speaks to them about their sin, their lifestyle. Speaks to them about the need of their soul. Speaks to them about salvation. He, he calls upon them to repent of that sin and, and believe the gospel. And receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Receiver. Redeemer, rest in him alone for salvation. Yet men and women don't heed that command. They do not respond. Now if God commands us believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, then not to respond to that is disobedience to God. It's, it's like, like calling God a, a lunatic or, or, or looking upon God a, as a liar. To, to refuse to rest in Christ. To refuse to receive him as Lord and Savior. To refuse to recognize him for who he is. Is that not a great crime in the eyes of the Almighty? Is that not the height of all folly? To, to refuse him that speaks from heaven. And not only speaks with advice and counsel. But speaks with authority and, and, and commands us. Here's a question this morning. Have you received Christ? Do you recognize him for who he is? Have you rested upon him alone for salvation? Do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Not only what you believe about him, but subjectively you have faith in Jesus Christ. Have you embraced him as he's offered to you in the gospel? Is he your Lord and Savior? Is it a real, true, living, saving faith? Remember, there's a faith that's not real, true, saving faith. A faith that's dead, a faith that's lifeless, a faith that lets you do works of religion, 
lots of religious activity, but you're still dead in trespasses and sin. You, you produce no spiritual good to God. You, you profess a, a false assurance. So here's the question. Do you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? A faith that's real. A true biblical profession of faith. A spirit-born profession. A, a, a blood-washed profession. A real, true, living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a truth that must be embraced. The second thing I noticed in the text was this. A test that must be exercised. Remember, he's writing to Christians. My brethren. And then he adds, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Now, what's he saying? He's saying to them, if you have the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will not be a holder of people's faces. That's what respect of persons means. Literally, if you have the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll not be a holder of people's faces. In other words, you'll not live your life by keeping up appearances. Wasn't there a television program years ago keeping up appearances? You will not treat people according to their looks, their wardrobe, their car, their house, their race, their skin color, their social status, their personality, their worldly goods or worldly wealth. Here's an illustration that he gives. A rich man, poor man coming into a church. And how do you treat them? Somebody who's a billionaire. Somebody who's a millionaire. Or someone who just comes in and they're working class. Or maybe they're so poor they don't even have a class. He's saying do not regard them. Do not show favoritism to them because of any of these things. Have regard to them because of their true worth in Christ. You see, in James's day, this was a problem. People fawning over the rich and the powerful. And people, because of their position and their power and their personal fortunes, they despised the weak and poor brethren. And those that were fawning over the rich, they were also despising the weak and the poor brethren. And, and in doing so, They were forgetting their real worth in Christ. And that is what James is saying to us here. He he, he tells us, um, remember, um, do not, but ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat. Do not blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called. If ye fulfill the royal law of According to the scriptures, I shall love thy neighbor as thyself. He said in verse 5, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. And you know, this was a sin that was taking place in the church in James's day. My brethren. But it's also happening among Christians today. It's happening in churches today. Let me give you an illustration. You've heard of Mahatma Gandhi, the Indian leader. Well, when he was a student, he was considering becoming a Christian. He was read the Gospels. He was moved by the Gospels. He thought to himself, Christianity offers a real solution to the caste system that's plagued the people of India. So one Sunday... 
He went to a local church. This is a true story, by the way. He wanted to talk to the pastor. He wanted to talk about salvation in the scriptures. Now, that church was full of middle-class white people. The ushers, when they met him at the door, who are you? Where do you think you're going? They refused to give him a seat. They actually told him, go you and worship among your own people. What are you doing in here? And he left. And this is what he thought as he went out the door. If Christians have caste differences also, then I might as well remain a Hindu. And that's according to the Daily Bread in February 1979. Isn't that a tragic story? Does not illustrate the sin that James is writing against in our text. The sin of showing favoritism to the rich and despising the poor without the regard to that person's true worth in Christ. And what's true among Christians and in churches can be also true among preachers. It's horrible to see a preacher fanning over people full of riches. The late Dr. Alan Kearns speaks of a time when he was invited to preach in a certain church and he was warned by the preacher, you cannot go one second over 60 minutes for I'll be in trouble. Now that man was a good man. Alan Kearns knew him. But he did say that that man was a, a mouthpiece for a very few rich men in the church. And those rich men used their power and their influence to run the church and pull the strings of the poor preacher. You see, to fawn over someone because of their riches or possession or possessions or power and despise others is contrary to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what James is saying, if you have the true faith, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you hold to that, then the only face that you'll want to behold is the Lord of glory. And as you behold him, the Lord of glory, you will see the faces of men and women and young people and boys and girls in and through him. In other words, you'll see your brother and sister in Christ through Christ. Even though many are poor in this world, in relation to its goods, even though many are despised and downtrodden, even though many haven't much to contribute to the church and its affairs, you deal with them. You deal with all people through the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see them by looking at him. Don't deal with people, he's saying, because of looks or money or dress or face or skin color or station in life or their job. Relate to others. Deal with others in and through Christ and because of him. You see, it's easy to sit in church. It's easy in your mind to despise others. It's easy not to speak to people, isn't it? It's easy to be jealous. It's easy to hold a grudge and to huff and puff and, and to, to be mad and angry at other brothers and sisters in Christ for, for some reason. It may be real, it may be imagined, but it impacts on the life and witness of the church. And I have known people that have said to me, you know what, I love a good fight in church. And if I'm not fighting with someone else in church, then I, I feel I'm not being faithful I want to tell you that mindset and spirit is wrong because there's only one face that really counts. 
one face that we behold, and that's the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in light of who he is, what he's like and what he has done, then that's the test. If I see a person in and through the face of Jesus Christ, then that's a test that I must exercise. Have the faith. But do not hold the faces of men in respect of persons because you're seeing them through the Lord of glory. That's the one face that matters. Remember in Colossians chapter 3, and we'll deal with it when we get round to it, he says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. You think of the makeup of the local church. You know, it baffles the world. They cannot explain how people of different races, nationalities, social stations in life, different age groups, boys and girls and young people, men and women, can come together and come together in light of who Jesus Christ is and out of love for Christ, live out the Christian life in one localized community. So there's a test to be exercised. Not only a truth to be embraced and a test to be exercised, but notice also here a title to be explained. Notice the words, My brethren have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, I want you to notice something. The words, the Lord, is in italics. So this literally reads, Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ of glory. The words, the Lord, have been added by the translators to give us the sense. Now, is the Lord Jesus Christ called the Lord of glory? Absolutely. I have to apologize. I didn't have time to uh, look up the many references that is to the Lord of glory in the Bible. But here's one of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So it's a biblical title. Now, you think of this title, the Lord of glory, or the Lord Jesus Christ of glory. And you see, that word off is very rich and has a variety of meanings, as we're going to see. I want you to think of the person of Christ. Off glory means he, he come down from glory. That, that means he, he literally came down from the glory of heaven. He's the Lord of glory. He's the Lord of all glory. Now, now think of that word glory. How can we describe it? How do we define it? Well, one of the old divines, Jonathan Edwards, said this about the glory of God as the reality of God's presence manifested in power, splendor, and holiness as the supreme ruler of the universe. See, the Lord Jesus Christ was not a mere creature. The Lord Jesus Christ was not a mere man. But I want you to think of one who is truly and essentially and eternally God. It's a reference, really, of his essential deity. Stephen, in Acts 7, verse 55, saw the glory of God. And Jesus at the right hand of God. The psalmist in Psalm 24 verse 78 talks about the king of glory. 
the Lord of hosts, the Lord mighty in battle. You see, this is the most glorious title. And when you think of the words, the Lord of glory, you think of the person of Christ. And you've got to think of leaving the glory of heaven and coming to earth. But it's a manifestation of his essential and eternal deity. Remember, great is the mystery of God, and his God was manifest in the flesh. Now think of his power. The Lord Jesus Christ is the mighty, victorious Lord. Ephesians 4 quotes Psalm 68 as Christ leading captivity captive. It speaks of his return in power and in glory. Where's the Lord Jesus Christ today, young people? Well, he's not on the cross. Sadly, Roman Catholicism depicts Christ on the cross. They call it the crucifix, but the cross is empty. He is not here, remember, the angel said. He, he has risen from the dead, as he said. He's not in the tomb. Well, we could say to the modernists and the liberals, the body of Christ is not in some unknown tomb. The Lord Jesus was born. The Lord Jesus came. The Lord Jesus lived. The Lord Jesus died. The Lord Jesus conquered sin, grieved the hell and the devil. And he rose again, triumphant from the dead. He ascended then back to his father. He is now in a glorified and exalted position to the right hand of God. He, he, he's living and reigning in glory now. But think of his presence. What he is. He's off glory. He's not only glorious in his person. And not only glorious in his power. But he's glorious in his presence. Do you know that we could talk about the all-glorious Christ? Or our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? You see, everything about the Lord Jesus Christ is most glorious. Don't dare judge a man according to his face, dress, money, education. Why? Because think of our glorious Lord. And you see, remember when he came into the world, men didn't know who he was. They, they didn't recognize him. He came unto his own and, and his own received him not. We have read there in, uh, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2 and 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know who he was. He came unto his own, the Bible says, and his own received him not. There was nothing glorious about seeing him. Think of his birth. Think of his life. Think of his station in life. Think of his death. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, despised and rejected of men. And yet this is the very one that came from celestial glory. This is the one that came from the bosom of the Father to the womb of the Virgin. This is the one who was born for sinners, lived and died and rose again. And where did he go back to? Celestial glory. This is the one who will return in power and glory at his second coming. This is the one who will reign in glory. As I'm telling you, he's the all-glorious Christ. Turn over there to Luke chapter 2. Look with me at verses Luke, uh, Luke 2, verses 13 and 14. This is to do with the birth of Christ. Remember what we read there. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying what? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You see, they called his name Jesus. 
They called his name Emmanuel, God with us. And here's the angels singing. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace, goodwill toward man. Whenever he was born, remember, his family was so poor and so obscure that there was no room for them in the inn. There was no fancy palace. There was no stately home. Whenever the Lord Jesus was born, remember where they laid him? Laid him in a manger. What is that manger? It's a feeding trough for animals. Remember the cloth that they wrapped him in? It wasn't a, a, a royal cloth. It was the cloth to do with wrapping a dead person's body in. The shroud of death. See, the world was in ignorance. The world didn't recognize him. The world didn't know him. Yet the angels are singing about him. And when it comes to his birth, you forget about appearances. You, you, you remember there's no royal kib, no royal cloth, no, no royal pronouncement or, or communication. And yet we read in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter uh, uh, 9, and we read there in verses 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of his and the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. You, you think of those glorious titles and names that are given to Christ. As his birth was being announced. Think of his life. Was he not most glorious in life? Never a man spake like this man. The common people we read. Heard him gladly. What did they say about him? Luke 15 and 1. This man receive of sinners. What an accolade. Think of his death. You know the Bible talks about the glory of the cross. Over there in Galatians chapter 6. And in the uh, verse uh, 14. The apostle Paul said this. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. And over there in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, and in the verse 2 and 3, we read more about the cross of Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. He says in John 12, 23, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. You remember his death. It was a sacrificial death. It was a propitiatory death sacrifice to appease the wrath of a sin-hating God. It was a single sacrifice once for all. It was a sinless sacrifice. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. It was a sacrifice that satisfied the law of God. A sacrifice that appeased the wrath and holiness of God. A sacrifice of expiation because it, it put away the guilt and punishment of our sin. It dealt with sin's power. It took away the love of sinning out of our heart. It was a sacrifice of blood to bring about reconciliation, God to man, man to God, and man to man. You see, the cross of Christ, remember, was shrouded in darkness for three hours. And God the Father laid our sins on Christ. 
Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Uh, Think of him and his resurrection. Glorious in his resurrection victory. Muhammad, Buddha, a host of other religious leaders, where are they? They're dead. You can visit their graves. Their bodies are there. Their followers can tell you the body's there. But the body of Christ is not in the tomb. The tomb is empty. He is not here, the angel said. He is risen, as he said. And remember, whenever he uh, was uh, offering himself a once and for all sacrifice to God, we read this in John chapter 10 uh, and in the verse uh, 17. He said, uh, speaking of his own life, I lay it down of myself. I have power to uh, take it again. Listen to these words. Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. And is he not glorious in his ascension to the father's right hand? Is he not glorious in his life of intercession and interest in the church? Is he not glorious and will he not be glorious in his second coming? You see, think of him, not only as person and, and think of his power, but think of his presence. Now think of this as we finish. Think of him and his provision. You see, James is dealing with saints. And remember John said, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When you're filled with the glory of Christ, you will see the faces of men in the light of who Christ is. In the light of what Christ is, in the light of where Christ is, is the testimony of the Christian not that I was dead and trespasses and sins. I was in darkness. I was diseased by sin. But now, what do they testify? They've seen the face of Christ. Listen to these words in um, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 uh, through to 6. It says in verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see the connection? The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And here's not only a belief, but here's how God's provision is so practical because it impacts upon our behavior in our walk with Christ. Over there in 1 Thessalonians in chapter Um, 2 and verse 12 the um, uh, apostle Paul writing to the uh, Thessalonians um, made this tremendous uh, statement Uh, listen to the word of God as I turn it up 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12 that ye should walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory do you know there's an old saint one time and she was dying and a person came to her and asked her this How are you today, Maggie? Now, her health condition was very poor. And I suppose the person that asked wanted maybe an infantry of how the old deer was feeling in her body. And this was her reply. Well, I'm saved by the grace of God. I'm washed in the blood of Christ. I'm blessed with a rich inheritance in Christ. God's my Father. Jesus Christ is my Savior. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. My sins are forgiven. I'm on the road to heaven. I'm a child of a king. That was her answer. What a a glorious truth to focus on. 
And you see, oftentimes in life's journey, because of trials and troubles, we become bothered with those trials and troubles. And we become bittered. And, 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 and they rob us of so much blessing. And I would say this morning, let's not allow life's circumstances to get us down. We all have real problems. And we have to face those problems. But we don't face them alone. We face them with the help and the grace of Christ as we walk with Christ. You see, in Christ, we live a glorious life because we're in Christ. We're living for Christ to go to be with Christ. In Christ, we have a glorious love for him. And therefore, we have a love for others. In Christ, we have a glorious liberty because we are partakers of his kingdom. We're partakers of his glory. And when bad things happen that you can't understand, and things that are so complex and distressing and disturbing that we have no answer, and we want to know why this person's suffering, and why this is happening, and we don't have an answer. Remember, the secret things belong to God. Have you got an answer as to why a little baby dies? Stillborn? Have you got an answer how a young boy can get a new bike for Christmas? And on Boxing Day, come down his lane and was hit by a car and was instantly killed. Have you got an answer when, when a, a young woman that's just newly married to a husband and she, she takes a heart attack and dies? Uh, have you got an answer when a young husband, maybe a few, ten years married, maybe moved into a new house and, and he has a car accident and she gets a phone call or the police at the door? Have you got an answer when a, an older person just suddenly takes a heart attack and, and dies? Or, or is diagnosed with cancer? You see, these are the issues of life. But the Lord Jesus is dealing with us because we're his children. And even though he doesn't tell us why these things are happening, he's still our glorious Lord. And as every word and as every thought, and as every interest, and as every love, and every dealing with us is rooted in the fact that he's the Lord of glory. And he's glorifying himself, and he's bringing glory and honor to us. Think of his provision, dealing with saints. What about dealing with sinners? I would say this in closing this morning. Where's your eyes? Is it on Christ? That's the only face of real worth. Our glorious Lord. He's the Lord Jesus Christ of glory. He's our glorious Lord. And he deals with individuals on the basis of grace and on the basis of holy justice. And you have to have dealings with him, either now or in the world to come. I set before you this truth pondering the greatness of our Lord of glory. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to us. We're going to